guys, welcome to Ask the Masters. Um, I want to introduce you guys to somebody that I'm really impressed with. Um, he's an attorney out of Los Angeles, California, and he's working a little bit in the uh, pool industry. Nick Pudi, did I get that right? Pudi? Nick Pudi, that's right. Pudi, that's right. So Nick is representing some um, uh, individuals within the pool industry uh, with a loss, uh, lawsuits that are being filed against your company about your websites not being ADA compliant. And Nick, um, I was doing a little bit of reading because you've put together a couple of papers on this. And I guess back uh, October 7th in 2019, the Supreme Court denied Domino's. Can you tell us how did this ADA thing get going? How was it involved with Domino's? What, where did it all start from? Yeah, certainly. Um, uh, thanks for having me on, Randy. Uh, we are frankly representing businesses across lots of industries, but unfortunately, uh, the pool industry has certainly been on that list, you know, in addition to lots of other retailers and businesses across sort of all walks of life. Um, what, what's going on here, you know, I'll take a couple steps back. Um, over the past couple of years, I think it would be hard for anybody to argue that doing business on digital platforms is not very much the normal way of doing business now, right? It's, a, it's the most prevalent way that we all do business, mostly from a convenience standpoint. Um, if anything, of course, COVID has underscored and perhaps even transitioned, you know, that, you know, the use of digital platforms from a convenience standpoint to almost now a health and safety uh, standpoint as to why we need to use those platforms. But regardless of the reason, um, businesses are doing uh, uh, business online. They're using mobile applications. They're using mobile websites and desktop websites, of course. And so along with that, what's, what we have noticed is a uh, wave of what we call digital accessibility claims that could be brought under the ADA or they could be brought under a variety of other state-by-state uh, -state statutes in the ADA uh, public accommodation space. And so what we're dealing with is, is, is generally a group of lawyers uh, that will pair up and represent individuals with disabilities most often individuals who have uh, visual impairments, they might be blind or hard, hard of seeing, or someone who's hard of hearing or maybe deaf. Um, and what they're essentially arguing is that, you know, my client tried to access your digital platform, could be website, could be mobile app, because your platform is not set up to be compatible with screen reading technology, um, uh, my client has suffered discrimination and you have to, uh, you know, we're, you're responsible for providing injunctive relief, damages, so on and so forth. It's a little bit like uh, traditionally the physical ADA claims, you know, individuals who may be using a wheelchair uh, or, or um, need a parking spot that is for disabled individuals. And what they're saying is, hey, I have a wheelchair, but, but the ramp that you, you know, have into your store isn't compatible. I can't use the ramp. This is the new age version of that, where they're saying, hey, I'm using a screen reading program, but your digital ramp is not strong. Um, and, that, and that's really the essence of the claim. The idea that digital platforms need to be accessible is not, not anything a lot of people are challenging. I think generally speaking, as a, as a society, we want digital platforms to be accessible to both individuals with or without disabilities. The issue here is that when you have a group of lawyers that are moving that process forward, it can kind of be done in, in a uh, hard to swallow fashion because usually you'll get a demand letter or you'll get a, a, a lawsuit and you had no idea any of this is going on and that you were in compliance or not compliance. And so that's really the, the part that we're trying to work through is how do you deal with the exposure? How do you become compliant and accessible without sort of getting dragged through the mud and facing a lot of litigation exposure? 
So we had seen this in the industry uh, previously where there were people taking Google map shots of commercial pools and if they didn't have handicapped access, they would file suit against that and, and they were awarded some money. So are, are you seeing some settlements or are, are companies basically just giving them a settlement to go away? How, how, are, how are you generally handling these? It's, it's a very similar structure. Um, you know, the, the types of lawyers who bring the type of lawsuit that you just referenced are the same types of lawyers who bring, uh, uh, you know, digital accessibility platforms. It's just sort of a, you know, sort of same, same sort of process with different, different kind of uh, content, different subject matter. Uh, and the answer is yes. You know, some of these cases get dismissed. A lot of them get settled. And then some of them, you know, go, go to trial or they get litigated. And at this point in time, you know, over the last five or six years, we've got kind of a mixed bag of results. Um, you mentioned earlier the Domino's Pizza situation. In Domino's Pizza, that was one of the earlier cases to get litigated. The, the uh, non-boring legal answer is that, you know, Domino's Pizza appealed that case all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. The U.S. Supreme Court was unwilling to review it, which means that the prior um, uh, second-tier uh, appellate court uh, decision stays intact. And unfortunate for businesses, that decision was in favor of plaintiffs and and against the business in the sense that they said, "Yes, a website can be a place of public accommodation, and you do need to make some changes to make sure that those digital platforms are accessible to screen reading programs." That's obviously I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially the gist of it. And so. Um, for the time being, even though there are some, some wins on the company side and some wins on the plaintiff side, generally where the case law nets, nets out in my, in my view is that these cases are generally allowed to proceed for the time being and uh, companies do need to be aware of it and they do need to do something about it, otherwise they might face litigation exposure in that process. Um, because we're talking the dominoes, are, are you at liberty to tell us what that settlement was? Did what dominoes paid out? Well, I, I want to be clear. I, I'm not aware that there's any settlement paid out for Domino's. So, okay. um, so I, I wouldn't be able to comment on that. And frankly, most settlement uh, agreements, if not all of them, are typically confidential anyway. Um, but I will say from a high level, you know, the, the settlements in this industry probably range anywhere from zero, if you can get a case dismissed, into the tens of thousands of dollars. And if you end up fighting, you know, and taking a case to trial and get hung up on attorney's fees, it could be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars in terms of exposure. Uh, I'll also add that some of the cases being filed, um, probably at least 50% or more are brought as class actions. And so as a class action, you know, in theory, uh, a company could face even, even greater exposure. But generally speaking, you know, the settlement ranges of these cases are somewhere between zero and in the low tens of thousands, in the low five figures is what you probably would expect. Um, you know, regard, you know, we might be able to debate whether that's a lot of money or a little money, depending on the size of a company, but I'm pretty sure no company ever wants to have to be in that position where they want to pay settlement. And so, again, we very much advocate um, digging into some of the uh, uh, ways of getting a website accessible or updating a mobile application so you can ideally avoid this type of uh, exposure. And I have noticed as I started to prepare and, um, and, and talk to you over the couple of times we've talked that there are websites that you can put your URL in and it spits out whether or not it's ADA compliant. And I was quite surprised because some of the things they're looking at are, are color variations as far as contrast. Um, in the videos that I do, 
we are now required to put what we call SRT files, which are closed caption files. Sure. And, and so we've had, we've had a race to go backwards and get all of these SRT files in um, so that everything was closed captioned. So are there any of those that um, you, any ideas you've got that, you know, some of our listeners could do to make sure that their websites are or are not compliant? Absolutely. So, and this is kind of, um, you know, this is where the rub is, right? So I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, uh, in a wheelchair ramp case, for example, in those situations, a business that is required to put a ramp, uh, an access ramp on their business, they generally have some guidelines on what they're supposed to do. You know, what, do, do I need a ramp? Where is it located? What is the incline? So on and so forth. The, the interesting problem here is that because in some ways these cases are so new, even though they've been going on for at least five years now, the regulations surround whether, uh, you know, how and whether a website should be accessible is, is, is relatively unregulated at this point. And I would say at best you have conflicting data points to know, you know, how websites are supposed to be set up. And so that creates, you know, a, a tough situation because on one hand you have a group of law firms that are relatively aggressive in finding targets and going after those targets with claims. But on the other hand, you have a set of standards that is, is sort of a gray amorphous uh, uh, space where you don't know which way is up, you don't know which way is right and wrong. You have lots of different people in the industry giving you different uh, guidelines and goalposts to hit. And so what I will say is nobody, anyone who claims to know the answer, uh, uh, you have to ask to, you know, have to question their credibility. Um, but what I can tell you is that in our experience and at least litigating these claims along of at this point, probably handling hundreds of claims, we have come up with some guidelines that we're seeing over and over again that would help someone prove that their website is accessible uh, or, or at least give you enough ammunition to prove you know, you know, that, that you shouldn't be a target. And so from a high level, you know, this, again, this is my opinion and, and there may be technical folks in the industry that would disagree. I think it's really three categories of data. The first data is your signage on your website. You know, are you giving people a way to find accommodations if for some reason uh, uh, their screen reading programs are not working? You know, is there a way to get in touch with someone? Often this is called an accessibility statement, uh, pretty widely used as a tool uh, in dealing with these cases and, and the idea of digital accessibility. Um, it certainly doesn't stop there. The next level is what I believe you referenced, which is, um, how do you test a website for what's called WCAG compliance? So um, although the, the standard is still unestablished and there's some, some uh, 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 contradictory data points in terms of legal perspective as to what, what standard, are we, what guidelines are we supposed to be using, the most popular ones that, have, that we're seeing in these cases is the web content accessibility guidelines or the WCAG. I would say most of the law file these cases are demanding or requesting that a company comply with the WCAG. And I would say most of the court opinions out there across the country that are looking to a standard uh, are also at least rubber stamping the WCAG as the right set of guidelines. Now, on the other hand, the, the Department of Justice has specifically said that the, the WCAG is not the only set of guidelines out there that could confirm accessibility, but, but frankly, that may be causing more confusion, as much confusion as it does help. <clears throat> Let's take a step back though. Um, Inter and, and I'll try to make this more usable. There are a bunch of programs, like you mentioned, that supposedly test for WCAG compliance. Now, is this the right way to test a website from a technical perspective? I don't know. 
but I will say that they are being used front and center in a lot of these cases. And so it does make sense for a business to at least play with some of these measuring sticks to see how they stack up. And so that is one certain way to do it. And there, you know, there's many on the market. There's probably at least 10 or 20 of these WCAG scanners on the market. And so that may be, that, that may be the second set of data points. What we'll typically do after we feel the signage is strong on a website is to do some testing with, with a variety of different scanning tools. And then based on the, the results of those scanning tools, we can advise a client on, on things they can do to either recode their website or add uh, additional technology. And then the third set of data points is what's called manual testing, which is really, you know, what you're saying is, I don't really have another way of testing your website other than just running a screen reader on your website and see how it does. And so we will certainly encourage clients to also engage in some level of manual testing so that by the end of that process, they've got a variety of different data points. Because the standard is very unclear, they've got to go above and beyond and create lots of, you know, a variety of different data points to prove that their website's accessible. You want to have good signage, you want to have strong automated scan reports, and you want to have good evidence of manual testing. And so that's, that's really a high level version, at least as lawyers, what we've been encouraging clients to do in order to make uh, either help them deter or be in a position to diffuse these types of cases. Um, and, and I definitely agree with you. I've got very different results when I went to those scanner tools. Um, some of them saying that I was compliant, some of them saying that I had a, a 40 different points that I needed to correct. Yeah. So that's, that's where talking with you today, I think is going to help all of these businesses because all of our listeners have websites that are out there running businesses. And, um, you know, I was just fortunate one of our larger clients uh, is contacting and working with you from the pool industry. Um, this is great news. If, if in fact, you get one of these uh, notices in the mail, which is a little daunting for people in the pool industry, sure. how, how would somebody get a hold of you? Uh, well, you're welcome to email me. It's uh, nick.pugi at dentons.com. So N-I-C-K dot P-U-J-J-I D-E-N-T-O-N-S.com. Dentons is the name of our law firm. Uh, uh, or, uh, or I'm easy to find on the web. If you just Google my name, Nick Puji, they should be able to find my bio as one of the first links. And we are absolutely happy. If someone does receive a demand letter, we are pretty good about advising, you know, which demand letter can be ignored, which demand letter can be, um, which needs to be responded to based on the data that we have. Um, and, uh, uh, and furthermore, if, if they are getting attention from some of these law firms or other types of claimants, we can get them going on their website compliance and give them something easy and digestible uh, that will, will, we believe, significantly reduce their exposure profile. And uh, so ha happy to help. Uh, you know, we never wanted to be necessarily the website gurus, but uh, based on our existing clients that began to get targeted with these cases and uh, trying to employ some of our tech savvy abilities, we, we have uh, developed an interesting model that, is, that we think is both effective and efficient. Wow, absolutely fantastic. Nick, you've been a wealth of knowledge today. I got to thank you for you know, coming on to Ask the Masters. And I think this is something that's going to hit most of our listeners broadside that they just don't realize you know, how these people are coming after websites uh, to become ADA compliant. Yeah, so. yeah it's a, the simple takeaway really is if you have a website or a mobile website or a mobile application, you could be a target, unfortunately. And so it does take a moment to step back and at least uh, uh, consider or whether you can take some additional steps to increase the levels of accessibility on your website. And then, uh, you know, if, even if it's not through me, at least if you're thinking in those terms and taking some steps, anything you can do can reduce some of your exposure in this space. 
Absolutely fabulous. He is Nick Fuji. We are Ask the Masters. I want to thank everybody for listening. Please take a minute to comment below, like us, uh, share this, and certainly share it with all of your friends in the pool industry because what we want to do is keep building pools and stay out of court. Nick, thanks so much, man. I appreciate your time you today. You've been fabulous. You got it, Randy. Thanks for getting the word out. Thank you.